Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, we're back. We're back. It's like, nice to be back. Been a while. I was working on my essay. I was being a student. Um, that's done now. And Danny has been hitting the campaign trail very yeah. hard to become a uh, Labour councillor. How's how did how did that go, Danny? Um, not not great. <laughs> <laughs> not great, if I'm honest. No. Well, I think I made a crucial mistake where I didn't campaign at all. Oh yeah. Uh, so zero percent effort. I got two point three nine percent of the vote. So, so, so on balance, you're up, aren't you? I'm up. Yeah. So if I just did 1% effort, I mean, what would that turn into? It's hard to tell because I'm already on zero. So You should have done like 0.1% vote so, so we can I make did. some kind of mathematical calculus. Yeah. But I mean, I wasn't expecting to win and I didn't. But I got some votes. So I see it as a personal victory. Do you know anyone personally who didn't vote for you? Like have any of your personal friends, anyone locally who you like... You no. should have voted for me and you didn't. Well, the thing is, I got 267 votes. But if I'd got, like, three votes, I would have known that somebody in my family didn't vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> did your family all vote for you? Yeah, I believe so. That's good. I'd be pretty annoyed if they did That didn't. would be pretty shitty, wouldn't it? Yeah. To not, to not vote for one of your close personal family members. I know. That'd be disgusting. Flesh and blood. Have you got a copy of the... Did you keep a copy of the ballot papers? Did you ask for a spare one? You, like, kind of just have one as a keepsake? I took a photo of it. Took a little photo. That's pretty cool. Got your name on a ballot paper. Got to sign, yeah, I got to vote for myself. Quite enjoyed that. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Very exciting. Um, anyway, let's let's move on from <laughs> that's politics. That's a different. That's a different more, podcast. More yeah, let's talk about something really important, which is some of the hottest, latest trailers. The big um, cinematic event of the past uh, three or four weeks was, of course, the release of the Venom trailer. Oh my god! So there was a teaser trailer for Venom a little while ago, um, which was notable for its the lack of Venom. Venom wasn't in that one. Uh, Tom Hardy was in it. Who he becomes Venom in the film, but no Venom. And we caught a glimpse of um, uh, a, a tube containing some of the some of the black goo that that becomes Venom. So the the elements were there, but we didn't see them combined. So obviously, expectation was riding high for the official Venom trailer, um, and it's got some Venom in it. Very excited. The guy you work for is an evil person. I don't work for him. My firm works for him. Are you going to behave yourself tomorrow? I told you I'm going to do my job. I'm a reporter. I follow people that do not want to be followed. What about the allegations that you recruit the most vulnerable for tests that end up killing people? You're time to go. You finished, Mr. Brock. Is that a threat? You had to learn how to hide in plain sight. I'm pretty good at it. But you, you suck. Whoever you are. I'm feeling really sick. I'm hearing a voice. Wow. I mean, awesome. I'm very excited for it. Me too. I think it's my most anticipated (laughs) film of the year now. (laughs) I think if it wasn't for the casting of Tom Hardy, I'd have like no interest in it whatsoever. It's got quite quite good cast generally, right? Michelle Williams is in there. Uh, Riz Ahmed as well, as I I just mentioned. He's very cool. Yeah, it's true. It has got a suspiciously good cast. And um, what's her face? Uh, Who's the one? um, Who's the evil sheep in... uh, Jenny uh, Slate? Yeah, from from Zootropolis. Yeah, the evil sheep from Zootropolis. Yeah, Jenny Slate. Um, Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is bizarre and is a symptom of, like, the weird uh, cultural landscape we live in where Sony is, like, giving Spider-Man to Marvel. But, like, what else do we own? It's like, let's get some of that sweet comic book money. 
and uh, it's so the character is so related to Spider-Man that's you know it'd be like making a Joker movie about Batman. It's yeah, exactly. It's very mental. odd. Um, I mean, in the sort of comic book lore, isn't Venom like he encounters Spider-Man first, right? Yeah, that's why he gets this alien creature, and that's why the sort of form he takes is very influenced by Spider-Man. He's got that like. You know, he's got a Spidey symbol on him, and he shoots webs and stuff. He's quite a similar kind of character. Yeah, and Eddie Brock is like a sort of counterpoint to Peter Parker. He's another photographer who works at the Daily Bugle, but he's just like doesn't have Peter Parker's core of decency, right? So he's more easily corrupted. Right, exactly. So he's like some sort of bizarro Spider-Man, effectively. But I am just loving uh, sort of Tom Hardy's like half like not giving a shit performance, half very committed. Uh, yeah, and his bizarre accent. I don't know if just... he's capable of fully phoning it in. Yeah, he can't. He's just too idiosyncratic. Of yeah, a former. yeah, yeah. His line delivery of like, "I'm feeling sick." I'm, fe- <laughs> I'm feeling sick. <laughs> was amazing, and uh, we can't really, you know, this radio is not a good format to discuss it in a way. But like, his reactions to like all the alien goo coming out of him is pretty hilarious. Yeah, he's got this. He's I got this look of the, absolute the, astonishment uh, on his face. The B-roll about the effects. And yeah, the previs, yeah. Sort of like, you know, <laughs> Ooh, what's going on? And Tom, in this scene, there's some uh, alien limb comes out of you, and <laughs> crushes the guy's skull. <laughs> Action! And you're really surprised. And it's great. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah. If you're going to have a sort of crazy, nondescript character, I think, I know, Tom Hardy is always value for money. It's got some good dialogue in it, the trailer. I like the uh, the way that the, the when they refer to the villain, um, where Tom Hardy's saying, uh, just like, you work for an evil person. That's how you know he's <laughs> the villain. He's described as evil. Uh, and then he's talking about his own job as a reporter, and he's like, my job is to ask the questions no one wants to answer or something. Yeah. Very important. Do you think stuff. this is going to be a movie that really sticks it to uh, Trump? It's going to be like the Post. It's going to be about the crusading work of journalists and their importance. Oh, I hope so. Holding people to account. You think um, maybe Venom is going to discover that Riz Ahmed slept with a porn star or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to like release the big scoop. Yeah, I think like it's the whole Venom thing is a misdirection for what is, will be a very hard hitting look. The <laughs> sort of attritional. It'll be like Spotlight, effectively, but then we'll also this alien thing as more of a kind of cherry on the cake, but mainly be focusing on the hard, diligent work of journalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the well, it, like, fact-chasing. The way that the movie looks like it's going to be set up is it's going to be an almost Hulk-type scenario where you've got this um, uh, difficult-to-control, violent alter-ego that, that sometimes turns up and, you know, it, it like hurts people sort of on your behalf to defend you or whatever. Maybe the arc of it is going to be that... Um, you know uh he becomes venom venom starts being really violent and stuff and like hurting people and then he manages to convince venom that the real way to make progress is to change people's minds not not to not to hurt them yes and then venom becomes convinced that you know he like does the big scoop and the big the story comes out and that that produces real change and venom is like all right actually you know i've actually learned a lot here that's a good point i think that'll definitely happen you don't have to solve all your problems with venom there's other ways yeah such as the fourth estate so watch out for that one venom's coming out later on this year i believe and we'll of course be reviewing that in absolutely. depth absolutely absolutely yeah. um sam it's been so long since we've done this that i've actually forgotten what this podcast is even about i mean why am i here why are the microphones here what are we doing it's a good question danny but don't worry about it i've got a, I've got a little description here of the podcast just to keep bring everyone um, back up to date on this Film Chat is a podcast all about a group of heroes coming together to defeat an alien menace. Uh, The podcast contains all of your favorite characters, the ones you've spent years coming to know and love. Big Man, Old Woman, uh, The Mug, Shirty, Extreme Girl, Zoe, Big Boy, Lord Man, Hat Woman, and more than 33 others, such as Tidy Boss, The Creature... Little Raisin Lady, Scrum Half, um, Diluted Boy, <laughs> and the rest. Many of them will die, of course, over the, during the podcast. But it's not a problem because they will soon be replaced by another several dozen characters who you will also have nothing but big-eyed, drooling adoration for. It will be premature to announce them all at this stage, but uh, get ready to enjoy... The next generation of incredible banter and quips and heroics between Dog Bone, Ex-Army Man, Coffee Bits, uh, Big Old Man, Son of Shirty, Chris, Baroness Unhappy, Tongue Thing, 
and the cauldron is what i would be saying if this was a pod adaptation of avengers infinity war that's how i would personally adapt that into a podcast <laughs> instead it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films i'm sam foster and joining me my personal superhero <laughs> danny moran oh thank you thank you so much i hope your sequels never stop being made me too we're back baby we're back and what better way to come back than with an exhaustive review of the biggest movie of the mu- wait, of the yet waits of all time? I'm talking, of course, about Avengers: Infinity War, the nineteenth film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which brings together all your favorite characters and also the ones you're indifferent to, and a couple <laughs> of the ones you hate, and leaves out a few as well. I mean, it's only it's one film; we can't do everything. Hashtag Where were they? Where were they? It's only one film. Bonafide, paid-up Marvel fanboy man-child, Sam Foster will be giving you his hot take on the film, and also an, a deeply insightful analytical adult man, Danny Moran, will be giving his two cents about this nonsense child film about a purple man collecting magic rocks. Plus, we talk about two very exciting film projects, one from everyone's favourite lad, Guy Ritchie, and one from everyone's favourite, actually very good filmmaker, Ben Wheatley. He's very good. I really like his films. All of which... Should leave me just enough time to tell you about my latest online campaign entitled Marvel Release Infinity War The Snyder Cut, where I'm basically trying to put pressure on Kevin Feige to let Zack Snyder recut Infinity War. I want the colour palette of the film to get a lot murkier and dark. I want the plot to be completely incoherent. I want to be able to understand anything. I want everyone's top lips to be weird and kind of fuzzy. <laughs> and I want there to be overt and Randian ideas, just not even... Just there, just there, just like all the heroes fuck everyone, and uh, the the fucking humans they all die because they don't deserve to live amongst these gods. <laughs> <laughs> to add your name to my cause, just go to www.petition.org/slash/infinitysnyder and click yes. Just click yes. <laughs> There's going to be a big button there that says yes, and you just click that. Yeah. So uh, release the Snyder cut. I'm on board for that. user at Hopwon um, or Hoppo still needs some clarity on how that app is, is pronounced thanks for listening man yeah thanks appreciate a lot it. and for your regular Twitter engagement which we very much appreciate so Danny had tweeted before with relation to Wes Anderson's movie Isle of Dogs which we did not care for uh, whether there are any other examples of a director making their worst film after their best film and we previously only got the you know snarky answer from Dougal McQueen that Ugh. that was true for the Grand Prix Ugh. the best hotel because he didn't like that movie um but Hoppo um had a good long think about this uh, I hope you weren't neglecting other parts of your life to consider this question and uh, sent us his response he says so after a week of thinking about this the best answer to worst film following best film is George Lucas directed New Hope and technically did not direct again until Phantom Menace few now I can finally sleep um, what do you make of this answer, Danny? Do you agree? Do you believe that The Phantom Menace is George Lucas's worst film? Well, personally, I think Revenge of the Sith is the worst one. What's your What's the take? Give us your hot take on the Star Wars prequels. I think uh, of the first six, they basically get worse in order they were made. I think Phantom Menace is the best of the prequels, which I don't know. It's like it's really splitting hairs with those because uh, they all suck. Because they all suck. But I think like. Uh, first of all, there's like the least green screen they shot on location at least, and it's got. I know this is like really like uh, searching for diamonds in a pile of shit, but uh, <laughs> like the Jewel of Fates bit is good, yeah, and the pod race is good, and you can like individually point to things. And also, when I watched it, I was like an idiot child, nine. I was like, this is a great movie. I also loved it as a kid. Whereas by the time Attack of the Clones came out, I was like, I'm this is bad. <laughs> Even my stupid child brain can tell. Has developed to the, the correct size to be able to identify. So I don't know. This. It's just because I have fond memories of watching it the first time. Yeah, I thought it was great when I watched that as a kid. I didn't mind all the Trade Federation stuff or the incredibly racist uh, Chinese <laughs> alien characters. Yeah, the midichlorians or whatever. I was, like, whatever. I was like, whatever. It's just whatever. some dialogue, isn't it? Who cares? There's all those nerds tearing their hair out. The sort of and wrong kind of Star Darth Wars Maul lore. Darth is genuinely quite a good villain, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't really do anything except stand there and look 
you know, just look yeah, but angry. Compared but compared to General Grievous or whatever, he's like. Fucking... I would say he's a better he's a better villain than General Grievous. <laughs> General Grievous. Or Darth, uh, what's he? Darth Snoopy or whatever he's called. <laughs> Count Dooku. Count Dooku. Yeah. That's a ridiculous name. <laughs> That's an Dooku. absolutely ridiculous name. I don't know how that one it sounds like Dooku. I think like that name of that character is the strongest evidence that there was not enough oversight over George Lucas. Like that's that should be with the first producer's note that comes back after he submits that script. It's like suggest changing this name to anything else. Well, I think the thing this is gonna this becomes like a Star Wars discussion, but with Attack of the Clones, it's a bit like he's trying to like desperately course correct. So it's like Yoda has a lightsaber and they fight, and he's like full of kind of trying to please the fanboys, but at the same time, very badly. And then the third one is just so relentlessly grim. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is like, it's so shot in blue screens. I wonder how it's pretty aged, like, appallingly badly. Well, it looked shit at the time, didn't yeah, it, really? it looked kind of shit. That was, you know, what, 13 years ago. It also has some of the most clangingly, like, memorably awful dialogue, the third one, with the kind of, like, I have the higher <laughs> ground, you cannot win, or something. The robot's like, there's nothing medically wrong with her, but she's dying. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Medically, she's fine, but she's just dying now. Um, from, but... from my perspective, it is you who are evil. Yeah, exactly. But I can totally understand why someone would hate Phantom Menace. I mean, you know, take your pick which one's the shit is like. Yeah, sure. It's sure. relatively arbitrary, I guess. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. I love Ben Wheatley. I love his movies. I know that you've enjoyed the films of his you've watched. You're not a Wheatley completist like myself. Not a, not a big Wheatley head. Not a big Wheatley head as I am. No. And hence my fan club fan page, wheatleyheadforlife.com <laughs> slash org. And um, he hasn't made a film since Free Fire. He usually churns them out like once a year. And it's been like, uh, like what, two years? Like 18 months? Like, come on, Wheatley, what are you doing? Hurry the fuck up. And he has, of course, already wrapped another film, the working title of which is called Colin Uranus. People don't know whether it's a play on Coriolanus. Coriolanus. That um, Shakespeare play that was in, turned into a movie by Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Um, but it has got Charles Dance in it and Hayley Squires and Neil Maskell, who's um, the brilliant lead in Kill List. But exciting news, um, Bob Mortimer on the Adam Buxton podcast let slip that he was he was going to do a project with Ben Wheatley, but apparently Ben got offered one of those big Marvel movies. Here's Bob letting it slip. You've been in the in the movie, get, trying well, to get Joe, a movie. Well, Joe, much more. But yeah, yeah. It's tr- it's tricky, you know. But we keep plugging away. We've got one in at the moment uh-huh. that nearly got going. That we, we hope we'll make, which is about Michael Jackson. He um, left a glove, one of his training gloves that he'd used when he wasn't on stage, um, <laughs> and it's a very valuable item now. And there's a few people trying to trying to get ownership of it. It's just a road movie thing. But we were about to start that. And then, um, you know Ben Wheatley? Mm-hmm. Ben Wheatley got offered uh, one of the big Marvel films. Oh, right. And so it ain't it won't for us to say, you ain't doing that, Ben. <laughs> You've got to do our... So then the money fell down. Oh, yeah. so Come on, Ben Wheatley. But it's, we don't uh... need more punching and kicking. We need Michael <laughs> Jackson's glove road movie. <laughs> You let it slip, Bob. You let it slip, Bob. So that's very exciting news because Ben Wheatley's a very cool, idiosyncratic filmmaker and the idea of him doing a massive movie is very exciting. He also is a um, paid-up comic book fan. I feel like often when they hire directors, they've always got to say, oh, I've always read comic books for my entire life. And yeah. You, you, rarely I believe it. The absolute classic <laughs> example of this being Kenneth Branagh talking about Thor in, uh, in Empire magazine. In an issue that we have tried to track down since, but have not yet been yeah, able to get our hands on. If anyone has upon. got the issue where Kenneth Branagh describes making a Thor and has this like long description of his love of <laughs> Thor, please send it to please, me. Please, like, please let us... Scan it in or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, please send that to us. We've got to use our massive uh, media clout here to get someone to send us those clippings. Um, Absolutely. But like, yeah, Ben Willey's also... He's got this movie Freak Shift in production, and he always seems to have like five things on the back burner. And... Although it's often the case that Marvel have sort of chewed up directors and it feels like they're obviously very producer-led films and it's hard sometimes to put your stamp on it. I mean, Taika Waititi sort of did that, but there's also, I think we mentioned in the review, you made the point where it's like very segmented, the bits that are him and the bits that are the sort of huge studio machine. Yeah, but that but that feels like they've, in a way, found a approach to using their directors in order to maintain some kind of authorial voice without like disrupting the 
um, the relationship too much. Yeah. In that they, it feels like they're quite clear with people at an early stage, like this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. And within this sort of set out sandbox, you basically do have quite a bit of freedom. And uh, so I imagine that someone like Ben Wheatley, you know, who's used to making these you know, relatively small or, or recently more mid-budget movies, um, you know, would not would be going in with his eyes open. I don't yeah. think you're going to get a repeat of the kind of Edgar Wright like problems that they had. Absolutely, and also I feel like Ben Wheatley doesn't need to make a Marvel film. You know what I mean? Like, no, he absolutely he's so, doesn't. Yeah, he's so good at self-generating work. Yeah, that you know he can just walk away from anything. He's like, well, I can make a film for two pounds, so. I'm not reliant on waiting for people to give me money or getting stuff off the ground. You yeah. Know, like, as often the case where people, like directors sort of take jobs just because some other project fell through and it just turned up on their desk, but because he makes films at like a very reasonable budget and writes them all himself with his um, wife and collaborator Amy Jump, that, you know, Marvel need him more than he needs Marvel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would be very excited to see what he did with a Marvel movie. It feels like they need uh to uh in order to be able to maintain the momentum of their you know mega franchise universe they need to always be able to say every single time this is new this is different don't worry don't get fatigued and tired by the endless uh uh, marvel production line we've got some very exciting people who will do do a brand new thing that's never been seen before and so hiring directors who are like increasingly um distinctive feels like very much part of uh, their their plan what they need to do in order you know in order to produce movies which are um in some respects more distinctive than uh like a generic blockbuster and much less distinctive than those directors other individual pieces of work i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yes. Yes. Can't wait. Literally, literally can't wait for that one. Can't wait for it. Cannot wait for that one. Here's another movie that we certainly absolutely 100% cannot wait for. Guy Ritchie's new film. So Guy Ritchie just made The Legend of the Sword, the King Arthur (laughs) films. Um and, and he's just made Aladdin, hasn't he? He's shooting he's, that or yeah, that or he's whatever. doing he's doing uh, Aladdin. He's putting the lad into his Aladdin movie, and he's already put the absolute bloody legend into King Arthur: <laughs> Legend of the Sword. <laughs> it is like distinctive thing of making like every movie about like a bunch of lads running about having a you know bloody riot, um, no matter what the subject matter is. And he's returning to his roots in some respects. Uh, with another film about just sort of gangsters, you know, having a having a, a Barney or a laugh or whatever it is. Uh, the next one's going to be called Tough Guys. Uh, he's written the script for this with Marn Davies and Ivan Atkinson. And apparently, according to Deadline, this is going to be a blend of Sexy Beast and Downton Abbey. Those two, <laughs> uh, two um, things that have just the two screaming things that produce screaming to be put scene. together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you have both, I assume, posh people and working class people wow. in the same in the same film. Like him, like the two sides of his mind. The two sides of his mind, yin, yin and yang, <laughs> yeah. the 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 black pieces and the white pieces. You know, that's what he's all about, isn't it? Balance. Um, yeah. He's very much like Thanos in that way, Bal- balancing all things. Um, this is what this one's going to be about. A very upright English drug lord attempts to cash out his profitable empire by selling it to a family of Oklahoma billionaires. And um, the article... Oh, I can't remember where I got this from. Wherever I got this from. Maybe it was... Yeah, I think it was Empire. Uh, they say that we're going to expect the usual collection of motley characters and with any luck, a collection of new faces and some of his old friends showing up, whatever that means. Sounds like just filling out the word <laughs> count of that Vinnie news article. Yeah, maybe Vinnie James will be back. Um, oh, man. He had a very upright English drug lord in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. There's a posh guy making on a sort of marijuana farms in there. Oh, yeah, Charlie. 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 Uh, and he gets sort of uh, sl- uh, slapped about by some of the less posh characters. Yes. And he's done. A, he's also done a bit of the England 
um, American culture clash humor in Snatch because there's that uh, American diamond dealing guy. Do you think Guy Ritchie is like much more famous than he right to be in terms of his output? Like, I feel like he's made how many films now? Like eight or nine? How many are good? You know, not many. I mean, we enjoyed The Man from Uncle, right? The Man from Uncle was good and I it kind of ran out of steam at the end of man from uncle but certainly the first half of it is is, is very enjoyable yeah lock stock is good snatch is good revolver is like almost unwatchably bad i really want to see revolver actually oh it's worth it just for just for how ridiculous it is well it's just like a very but i don't know i don't want to sound snobbish but it just isn't that smart you know and he thinks he's made some sort of genius primer slash genius you know multi-levered multi-levered multi-leveled uh film and it's just terrible. It's terrible. It starts with like four individual quotes. You know, how, like movies often start with, like a quote by a famous person. It's always like a bit of a red flag because yeah. like, this film is important. But this one starts with like four different quotes. Like, so, like, how are they? Does it? Are they all on separate screens or? No, it's like it fades up and fades down. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. One's from like Napoleon. One's from sort of the principles of chess. One's from, I don't know. It's a bit like he read like three books and thought he was like a genius. <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> made this incomprehensible film yeah i mean i'd rather he was making movies like that though these kinds of like ambitious laughable failures than another one of his um runabout cockney lads on the run kind of movies yeah because rock and roller was absolutely shit rock and roller as far as i can remember i haven't seen it since it came out but yeah i seem was... to remember it being terrible it, yeah it was just not well, even then... The... Felt like it felt like an attempt to recapture the magic of his well, uh, the thing, early that career. Well, was like 10 years ago, right? So it's just, just Even more, more lame past, now, yeah. You know? It's like you already had your midlife crisis where you bought a Harley and now it's like 15 years later and you're just like, maybe I'll buy another Harley? Yeah. Don't do it, guy. Cannot wait. Can wait. Can wait. Can, that, that one can wait. <laughs> that one can wait, Oh, guy. I can wait for that one. But I'm very excited for his, like, Cockney geezers running around, like, Baghdad or whatever, where Aladdin will be. Aladdin, you bloody got the bloody bread, and the boo's got the fucking monkey, the gods are off to you. Yeah, I I feel like the opening sequence of that movie, I've already seen every (laughs) single shot of it, just know exactly what it's going to be like. And it's not good. I'm not enjoying enjoying the the mental image I have of that. No fun. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Let's do it, Sam. Let's tackle the biggest film ever made. Avengers Infinity War. You're excited for this. Yes. I'm excited for this. Yes. It's a huge film. It's the uh, first half of the conclusion of the, of the climax of Marvel's epic, serialized blockbuster franchise storytelling, bringing together uh, many heroes from such diverse films as Iron Man <laughs> 4, the Captain America movies, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, Doctor Strange... Um, Black Panther. Black Panther. Some of the other ones. I think those are the main ones. Um, and the much teased super villain Thanos, who's a kind of gigantic purple galactic warlord, is the villain here, and he wants to collect all of the Infinity Stones, which have all appeared in one form or another in the previous Marvel movies, except for one, the Soul Stone, that's introduced in this film. There's been a lot of speculation about where that one was, but that's revealed here. Um, and he wants to put them all into the big gauntlet that he has and when he has them all he will be able to control all of uh, matter and he'll be omnipotent like a god and he yeah. wants to use that power to wipe out half uh, of all the life in the universe that's no good is it no, that's, Th- that's that would be bad so every single hero that's ever been committed to film um but not Stellan Skarsgård uh, from the Thor films he's not in it not Kat Denning not Kat Denning from the Thor films <laughs> she's not in it Natalie Portman also from the Thor films, absent, <laughs> notable by her absence. Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd. <laughs> Where's he? Where's he? Where's Chris O'Dowd? Where is Marissa Tomei as Aunt May from um, the Spider-Man movies? She's not in it. Yeah. Where is she? Where is she? Where's what? Hannibal Burris as like the sort of gym teacher from Spider-Man? Where's Where's the gym teacher from Spider-Man Homecoming? He's not in it. They didn't find room for him. Where? Hashtag Where were they? 
Um, yeah, so there's a few there's a few major absences, but in general, most of the people who are expecting to be in it are in it. They all have to sort of come together to, to stop you know this terrible event happening. Here's a clip of Mark Ruffalo channeling a sort of Woody Allen-esque uh, nerv- nervous performance explaining the big threat that's on its way. Tell me his name again. Thanos. He's a plague, Tony. He invades planets. He takes what he wants. He wipes out half the population. He sent Loki. The attack on New York. That's him. This is it. What's our timeline? No telling. He has the power in space stones. That already makes him the strongest creature in the whole universe. If he gets his hands on all six stones, Tony... He could destroy life on a scale hitherto undreamt of. Um, say... I went to see this. Yeah, I I had had uh, approximately one hour's sleep when I went to see this movie because I just finished my essay and handed that in and I was feeling monumentally dazed and I was so excited to have my mind wiped clean um, by an absurdly stupid film by Thanos Thanos himself. Um, So, you know, that perhaps that influenced my uh, view of the movie. (laughs) I have to say, thoroughly enjoyed it. Thought it was great. Enjoyed it from start to finish. The first scene fantastic final <laughs> final scene brilliant as well uh and yeah we have a scene between <laughs> all the all the scenes connecting those two scenes equally equally wonderful now i mean my basic my basic view on this um it is a in the sort of quintessential marvel movie in a way and it does feel like a combination not just of their narrative but of their entire business model and i think that it's um quite a good rather critical take on it from um the film crit hulk which I really recommend anybody reading. He wrote quite a long piece about this, although it's not quite as like mind-numbingly long as some of his stuff. <laughs> um, and he described it as showcasing Marvel, both Marvel's strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I think it definitely does that. And essentially, the existence of this movie is driven entirely by commercial and marketing considerations. And like a lot of their films, uh, particularly the last one directed by the Russo brothers, uh, Captain America Civil War, it is a an example of people working under massive constraints that are imposed upon them by the needs to essentially function as an advertisement for the, the entire franchise. It's like a sort of poster that's come to life or like a, uh, like a collection of toys that's being released um, that they've had to turn into a film or something like that. And if you just wanted to tell a satisfying story, you would absolutely never construct it in this way. Um, and it's a very odd beast because although in one sense it is the culmination of a bunch of other things uh, that are all leading up to this it's not it's not exactly that since most of their other movies do function broadly speaking as standalone films and the marvel cinematic universe is not constructed like the the one series of television where every film that comes out is purely an episode where you have to have seen the previous ones and it's like not a full story unto itself and then you're expecting a climax later on they're always sold as kind of you know complete stories um basically except for this movie which is in no sense a complete story um, and basically nothing because of the, the the entire premise of how they've set this up nothing about it should really work and it's also lumbered with a on paper extremely tedious and generic villain who's just an alien he wants to destroy the world he's really big and strong he's hard to fight and punch and the whole notion <laughs> of uh magical gems that wipe out life is also you know inherently not particularly fascinating and i would say that operating under those conditions uh, it is really remarkable that the film works as well as it does. I think it's a real feat of engineering, which is seems to be the Russo's great strength. And the ability to smooth over all of the various gears crunching and plate spinning that they have to do to keep this whole thing moving along. And what ought by rights to be a, like a baffling and tedious sludge um, turns out to be remarkably watchable and surprisingly tense uh, film with... Um, uh, a, lot, a lot of things that basically work very well. It's got a surprisingly kind of coherent story where you can follow everything that's going on. It all basically makes sense. You don't come out of it thinking that bit didn't make sense, that bit didn't make sense. Um, and uh, I think the decision that they made quite early on to hang it around uh, the villain, and com- he probably gets the most single screen time of any one character, and he's very ably played by Josh Brolin. It's, it's sort of very good performance capture. And it basically functions sort of, although not quite, but sort of like a sort of hero's quest in reverse where the villain takes the role of the hero and he's got to collect all the things in order to, you know, he's got to sort of defeat various obstacles in order to achieve his goal. 
um and you know it's about him having to surmount various problems and learn to you know to sacrifice what he loves and blah 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 <laughs> um and that and that basically works quite well and even though i don't think it is a wholly satisfying story and it's, it's you know there's something deeply cynical about its conception because it's this massive corporate bear moth um i found it pretty much uh quite effective and i was <laughs> i was uh yeah enjoying it throughout and i think that as well it's worth emphasizing which uh film Crit hawk does as well um how well that they, they well they do a quite good job of establishing a genuine sense of threat from a premise of uh, which is highly generic you know the world's going to be destroyed as an alien is hard to fight uh, I think they do an excellent job of um, cr- of turning that into a genuine threat and making it f- feel really tense, which is a new thing for the Marvel Universe. Fair enough. Go on. Knock, knock me down. Well, N- Nail me. I would say, first of all, they've put these limitations on themselves. Oh, I know. And like a bad idea well executed is still a bad idea. <laughs> and uh, I would, my sort of take on it, which Film Crit Hulk wrote a very i read the same piece you did but i had the point before he wrote it down i think i had it before him maybe we had the same time maybe if we met we'd be friends which was that the marvel universe the first like lot were because they're origin stories they kind of operate um more as films because there's this arc and you know they weren't heroes at the beginning of the movie and they were heroes at the end and that's kind of fulfills like a satisfying structural narrative and then they sort of became the most expensive tv show ever yeah, that they're kind of episodes, and I think mean, now it is—it's a comic book movie which does resemble a comic book, and it has all the problems uh, and the things I don't like about comic books. Is true of this movie in that I know you found it tense, but I really like. There's something about the impermanence of death in the Marvel universe, and for example, this is like a tiny little spoiler, but in the Marvel Civil War movie, Don Cheadle was like rendered kind of paralyzed by this uh you know big superhero team up and this movie's got like these super advanced bionic legs to the point well he's cured he's fine yeah and that's i think that small example is true of a lot of things in the marvel universe and the whole plot conceit of the gauntlet that can do everything means that you feel that any consequence in the movie can be reversed later on and uh as such I think it robs the movie of a lot of dramatic stakes. I also mean just the fundamental dramatic engine of the film doesn't work. There are two identical scenes of uh, Gamora and uh, Chris Pratt's character. Star-Lord. Star-Lord and uh, uh, fuck, the Vision Man and uh, Scarlet Witch. They're both like, haven't really been established as couples prior to this film, are established as couples and have the identical, have identical scenes. And in a huge, sprawling two-and-a-half-hour film with so many characters, why is the film repeating itself? I also think, like, the action is very pedestrian. Like, I've seen these people mow down a, a horde of mocap people constantly. And I think, like, the, the highlight in terms of action for the Marvel Cinematic Universe was the Winter Soldier had the best action scenes of any standalone Marvel movie. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just to go through, like, the beginning of that movie, there's, like, the whole bit on the boat is, like... Uh, very different to the bit where they attack Nick Fury, which is very different to the bit in the elevator. Whereas this, it's only like people punching each other. It doesn't vary from that at all. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically for the fans and the movie is an excuse for itself when it's just pure spectacle. And I wasn't, I was indifferent going in and, uh, (laughs) you know, it hasn't won me over. Yeah. And I was just, uh, yeah, I was just left kind of cold by it. I'd say like... didn't, Didn't think it worked. I do, I do think that it's, it does feel a little overwhelmed by uh, the fact that everything is now, you know, CGI uh, lasers and zapping. And it's become, because the size of the, like, you know, everyone's powers have become very extreme, you know, and everything is, is highly cartoonish, even though it looks like it's had the world's most expensive constant CGI plowed into it. Yeah. I wonder if, like, any movie that's ever been made has got as many effects shots in it as this one. It's, like, completely bananas. Uh, but I do think one thing that the Russos do quite well is having little inventive ideas for things. Which I know that you you getting a bit weary by the, everyone's constant the gadgets. There's too many gadgets. Well, like, like, everyone it's like everyone that, has like elaborate uh, gadgets. Alan that they, Clark thing when like they don't use so advanced, it's indistinguishable from magic. There's something. Yeah. It's something about like the level of nonsense I can take in a movie. I mean, this is just personal preference. Yeah. But there's something for some reason 
uh, Tony Stark in his Iron Man suit is fine, but an entirely like nano suit which can produce like anything at will is just like too far. I just like <laughs> this is just nonsense. And it, the last um, superhero movie I watched was the Lego Batman film. And you know that in like in the Lego movies they suddenly like just build massive stuff and someone builds another massive thing. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, that's true. It's it like, is. It fully, is very much like that. It's very close to being an animated film in a way, like you're saying with the FX shots. Yeah, and it's I don't know. It's something like if it, it feels like a comic book, and like when I read a comic book, I'm not that. I don't know. I think cinema should be more engaging. It like I don't know. If you don't love the characters going in, they're not gonna not going to win you over now but yeah i think your your reaction to it will probably be uh, very much determined by how you felt about these things before you went into the movie um which is not you know to to say that like the criticisms are irrelevant or anything like that but um yeah i was just uh i think i do think i think that the thing about the impermanence of death or whatever the fact that like things don't seem to have consequences i mean I don't. I don't really have a problem with it existing in this, you know, ultimate fantasy world where things can be reversed at will because there's no uh, like rigidity to the rules. Like, I think that's fine. I think that it would be that wouldn't matter at all as long as um, it felt, you know, that they were doing enough with the story. You know what I mean? I don't think there's really that important what happens to John Cheadle's character's legs. You know, I mean. No, my point is that just like. There is no consequence. The, yeah, the end of the film. Do you think the end of the film is going to be permanent? Do you think everyone? Well, but do it. Do we? We don't want to. Okay. You know, get into spoiler territory. So, the, I mean, the end of the movie is is one of the big talking points of the thing. But I think the end of the movie is actually really is a good. It was an interesting thing to discuss. Maybe we should have a little spoiler horn now, so we can talk about sure. the end a little bit. It's a spoiler <laughs> horn. <laughs> Come um, back in 13 minutes. Sorry, we do... We're going to go on quite a bit about this. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Watch out, spoilers avoid. Careful, spoiler alert. Spoilers. So the end of the movie, uh, as you will know, if you're listening to this spoiler section, you've seen the film, uh, Thanos gets the gauntlet of power and wipes out half the universe. So a bunch of, of the well-known characters die, including Spider-Man and Black Panther and various other people. Um... And I think that this works a lot better than uh, some of the other examples that people have held up of occasions when Marvel is kind of cheating because they pretend like something really dramatic has happened and then they just reverse it one second later. I mean, I think like basically an example of that being bad, I think, is like the very beginning of the film when um, like the Asgardians are all murdered by uh, Thanos you know and they're sort of sacrificed in order to establish their villain as like a deadly threat yeah which does somewhat like fuck up the end of thor ragnarok and so if this is like a massive serialized story then that shouldn't happen because it ruins the climax of that movie so and i think i think that's a problem i think the end of this movie i don't think anybody is being told really that there there is no there's not going to be a way back and i don't think that anyone who the um, the ending works really well on actually believes that Black Panther was not going to come back ever as a character because they murdered him in this at the end of the movie. And if it was true that what they were doing was, you know, actually killing off half their stable of characters, I mean, it'd be a very bold move, but it wouldn't be a very satisfying move from a, from a story perspective because it would end up seeming like a very flippant casting off of all of these people who they'd asked you to invest in their previous... Like, what a ridiculous way that would be to treat this Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> so, like bring him into this universe, make him this sort of cool, cute character, give him his own movie, and then just have him, his life be meaninglessly snuffed out by a magical gem, like, yeah. you know, alongside other people. That would be absurd. And I think the point of it is to function as a halfway point in a larger story, which I know is not necessarily satisfying from the perspective of, you know, the thing as a movie, but I don't think it is obviously set up as a surprising kind of twist in that the moment where you you know you thought the heroes were going to succeed, they end up with a larger obstacle than they had previously, and you it sets up a sense of um, anticipation for the conclusion of this story next time in a much more direct way than, for example, like the teaser uh, you know after credit scenes tell you what the next film in the franchise is going to be. It's a bit like that, but we know there's going to be another movie where this story will be resolved, and I don't think people really think like. You're not expected to really believe that, you know, Black Panther will never come back or whatever. It's a surprising moment in a larger plot. Is it? Okay. 
I, mean, I don't find it surprising because he's, you know, he says that's what he's going to do. And there's another movie. So obviously they can't win at the end of one. So yeah. it's inevitable. So then, like, all these people fading away. But, like, what is what is your emotional response supposed to be at this movie? Like, at this point, it's like, well, they'll be back in an hour's time. <laughs> no, you're supposed to be excited to see how this story will be resolved, just like any cliffhanger. It's like if, you know... Oh, they're going to get the magic, the magic stones, aren't they? And they just use it to reverse. But it doesn't matter if it's magic. The point is that you want to see how it all works out. It's like any any kind of... Any of these stories about, like, superheroes, which are popcorn entertainment, they're going to overcome. It's like, I think, you know, it's hard to, in a way, assess the story properly because the whole stretch of it is so bizarre and weird. Like, the whole way that the whole thing is set up is very unusual. Yeah. And... It is this strange kind of hybrid storytelling, which is like half a serialized thing, like a TV series, and it's yeah, like yeah. half not, and it doesn't quite work. And I definitely agree with that, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with like. I actually think it's the point that you're, you know, that you, you you're not supposed to believe that this is permanent. And you are supposed to believe they're going to win at the end of the day because like that's the whole deal. I mean, like any any time that any superhero movie comes out and there's a villain, you go and expecting them to win. It's like, it's not, you're not like really disappointed. It's like, why, why bother watching this movie? I'm just going to see this superhero win at the end. No, I just find it, it's just goes back to something I find annoying about comic books where the impermanence of death, like you kill a character off and then they're back. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's just like something I find particularly like annoying. And that's why like, I feel uh, like, I don't know. I just think like films have a different, maybe it's just a definition of like, what is a film? It's always like a bit of a bad idea to say this is what constitutes a film. This is what constitutes yeah, something yeah, else. You know, yeah. any, you know, anything released in the cinema, which is of a certain length, is a film. But um, yeah, like uh, something about that as a device, I find quite irritating because you know it will do something and then it will reverse. It's like you might as well have just not done it. Like if it's just going back to the status quo and nothing alters. Well, we'll have to. I mean the status quo is deferred until the next movie but now like say in the next movie if like iron man and captain america died yeah when you'd be like well, let's get those stones out and, and you know but it's like from the perspective of a story anything could happen at any time they're in a magical galactic universe i mean you know yeah but do you know, like it's the, it's, the na- to, it's the nature of it's the nature of a fantasy it's the nature of a fantasy to, like, movie human psychology and you've got to ground it somehow right otherwise yeah it of course but like, like a cartoon yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can always, you know, find some plot thing, device to do whatever you want. I think the 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 fact that they've created these, like, magical stones that, you know, warp reality, like, obviously they won't, you know, use those for story reasons constantly. They'll probably wrap that up in the next movie because it would be boring otherwise. And you... I don't know. I mean, I don't... I'm not saying... I'm not like, arguing that it's, like, incredibly powerful drama <laughs> or whatever. But I do think that it's quite... I don't think that it's like, you know, deceitful or shortchanging people to to do it this way. I mean, something that film critic Hulk said in his piece is that he was really excited at first when the, the climax movies happened and people started fading away. And he's like, oh, shit, they're really doing it. They're really killing people. And then when Black Panther and Spider-Man died, he was like, oh, now I get what they're doing. This is bullshit. Yeah. And um, and I had a similar like moment watching the movie when I was like. For a second, I was I was sort of thinking, oh, this is the real deal. And then and then when when that guy died, I was like, all right, so it's not the real deal at all. It's just the you know they're just doing this and they're going to find a way to change it back. And I think that had this, I think this is basically a perfectly legitimate like mechanism to use, and I don't have a problem with it. But I think that it is similar to what they've done generally in a bunch of their movies in a way that like I can completely understand why people would find it irritating i think like it's a bigger problem another thing that 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 other that piece that we keep referencing mentioned i think it's a bigger problem for example that the like the 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 machinations of captain america's civil war do not seem to have really affected the setup of this movie hardly at all like if the events of that film didn't happen and we just came straight here from avengers 2 nothing would play out very differently really you could just find different reasons for the various team-ups to happen but like there's no real consequences from that film that have a strong impact on this movie and I think that's a, I think that that is a problem, um, but uh, you know, it's it's obviously not uh, a fully successful thing. Um, 
uh, but this is of all the films that they've made um this is slightly different in that it's the most directly a sort of one half of something and we'll see what they do you know in like the next mega blowout movie um but like i don't i don't personally have a problem with it i thought it was kind of fun to end on this like down note and if if, it i thought it was very well executed and it had a you know it was done in a sort of cool way and um although it was maybe not that surprising since it was you know they're obviously probably gonna have to have something to come back from for the next movie i thought it was like they landed it in a in a way that was good i don't know fair enough i kind of liked it okay i liked it everyone uh, send me messages saying, <laughs> saying you agree with me, not with Danny. It's my least favorite Avengers movie, I would say, to conclude. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that, the, how much is that saying? I think the previous the three, two are like, the three are Avengers like, movies are like top tier Marvel films. Do you think so? Even Avengers two, the yeah, much Avengers, much Avengers, maligned Avengers two. Well, I think Avengers. I think they should got Joss Whedon to polish the scripts. I think the banter is down. I just, I strongly disagree. And I think the banter is up. For in this one. I don't think I'm like Whedon's banter. I'm kind of, you know, okay. over it. Well, but I know Avengers two is like sort of about something. It's about is like it? the need to change. It's all like thematically on point. Like everything in the movie is about how you have to like let go of the past and move forward, and things have to die. Yeah, but they fuck it, right? They sort of don't. They don't really like. It doesn't. They don't really drive that home. I don't know. I don't find What's that more this movie thematically. About? It's, got, it's about nothing nothing film but you can you can say you can make the exact the very similar claims you know about how it's like about confronting people with uh choices of sacrifice and whether one life is worth more than many or whatever it's like you know you can draw these things i mean what you said about there being two scenes that repeat each other you could also make the case that that's you know uh an attempt to draw some <laughs> kind of thematic coherence by uh putting characters in similar situations and make, posing the similar choices to them and like similar difficulties you know and whatever i mean <laughs> ultimately a lot of this stuff i think that it's hard to talk about because if you if you delve into this like mechanics of storytelling business it gets like um i think it becomes hard to distinguish what is an effective story from did you follow the rules and are you able to tick enough boxes about the themes? Like yeah. there's something a bit mechanical often about this kind of stuff where it's like, uh, you, they set up the theme and they paid it off and blah, 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 you know, and I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, but it's like, if you can analyze the script and sort of say like, Oh, they set up this idea here and then they, you know, developed it here and then they concluded the movie and it paid off and, and therefore it was a good story like that is a i think that's a somewhat mechanical way to look at it because the underlying idea itself might not really mean anything and all these like you know if it's like oh what is it about it's about like needing to change and move forwards and let go of the past and develop or whatever it's like fine but it's not like anyone's really gonna learn any life lessons from this movie you know what i mean yeah i I just think it's just like more of a coherently made film and yeah i also think like with just the byproduct of having so many characters in it it just uh brings into focus which which characters are better and, that's definitely and like, true who's really it sort of flags when they, yeah, they're they on the shit characters i think the guardians are quite shit yeah and i think like going in it reminds me of that mitch and webb sketch about football is like football football the endless football it's like marvel films marvel films the endless football, like the titans of marvel like this and you know but like this was going to be like the world cup where it actually means something and then most of the film is like with the shit characters and like the good ones was it like worse than you expected it to be yeah really yeah you thought it was going to be better yeah because i I thought it was better better than i I expected it to be i thought it was gonna like actually conclude some stuff you know because always talk about people's contracts being up yeah so like oh okay death is on the cards people are gonna die they're gonna be consequences but you knew you knew there was gonna be two Sorry? You knew there was going to be two. You know, it was when it was initially announced, it was like, Infinity War Part 1, Part 1. I thought Infinity someone War, was going to die in this one, you know? And Yeah. But, but now they're going to, you know, are we still in spoiler mode? I don't know. They're going to bring back all the shit characters and kill the good ones. And I'll be like, why? That's not satisfying. Because <laughs> they've been doing it for 10 years. They've got to go do something else. <sighs> it's just a nonsense franchise with children <laughs> built on a series of unsuccessful, frankly, underwhelming films. That's my two cents on the matter. 
Um, it's a work <laughs> of towering genius that will be unsurpassed in the history of human achievement. I don't know. It's, it's fine. It's I basically don't... the Sistine Chapel ceiling of films. And if you don't like it, you can go and take a big shit in your own pants. <laughs> <laughs> gladly. That's my, would, opi- that's gladly my opinion on that. that. It would be better than watching it again, sitting in my own shit. All right. Well, that's concluding the first half. <laughs> of our review of Avengers Infinity War. Um, We'll take a short break now and come back for the next one hour of discussions, spoiler-filled discussions of this movie. (laughs) How did Thanos get the ridges in his chin? How did Peter Quill feel when someone died? Was he he happy? Don't think so. Talk about that in a bit. (laughs) Time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack And telephone a friend so you know where she's at Right, that's enough, now back to film chat Alright, <laughs> a chill has descended in the room Danny and I, you know, if this was The Sims You'd have, what you know what happens in The Sims When people have like an unsatisfactory conversation And they kind of, they yeah, the sort of, sort of red thing appears above them And they've lost, you know, some of their friendship points That's what's happened That's what's happened If they, if another movie comes out like this Where Danny and I disagree as passionately as we do Over Avengers Infinity War <laughs> Could be the end of the podcast So let's hope that we um, have very strikingly uh, similar opinions On whatever the fuck movie's coming out next yeah, let's uh, let's go and see um, that Guernsey uh, potato film if that's still around. Oh God, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, why haven't you seen it with your mum, by the way? She said she wanted to go, but I was like, I can't. Really, that was a step too far for you. Oh, it looks so shit. I oh can't. man, I'm so disappointed why, you didn't why see that. Why don't you that. go and see with my mum? Why don't you go see with my fucking mum then? Jeez, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. Um, but sure, yeah, yeah I'll see it with Louise. Um, yeah, I'll take Louise out. I'll take her out. Show her a good time. Show show what it's all about. Whatever. Um, let the good times all roll out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what, should we? What if the music's too bad? Are you gonna sing along no matter what? I would say that's probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Why not? It seems like a, it seems like what she'd like. Um, should we do a little quick mini reviews of some of the other movies we've seen? Yes. Danny, you've seen A Quiet Place. Yes, I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give, um, us, give us your quick take on that. There's a quiet place. This is uh, starring and directed by John Krasinski, and he also rewrote a script by some scriptwriters who have been forgotten already. You know, they came up with this great idea, but John Krasinski's taking all the limelight, and I will do nothing to correct that. <laughs> um, and it's about him and his wife, played by his real life wife, uh, Emily Blunt, and their two children uh, living in a sort of post apocalyptic America where alien invaders have turned up and the gimmick is that they have got very good hearing and they attack anything above a whisper so you've got to be very quiet all the time and i would say it is a really good conceit which is very effective and instantly like two minutes into the film you become very conscious of like uh the slightest noise anything like uh teetering on the edge of a shelf anything is like you know gets a lot of dread out of household objects i would say that it's like a really good, uh, it's like a shot of a movie where it's very effective, but it doesn't linger that long afterwards. And John Krasinski said when he was rewriting the film, he I think he just had a his second kid with Emily Blunt, and the film was kind of focused on a sort of nuclear family, and uh, it's all about the dad's relationship with his daughter who's um, um, who's uh, deaf. That's a plot point in the film. And I don't think the actual like story kind of dovetails with the plot that much. And going back to uh, Joss Whedon, writer of Avengers one and two, there's a really brilliant episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hush, where they all lose. Have you seen this when they all like lose their voice? Oh, right. I think I've the heard villain- about it. I don't think I've seen them. The villains are destroyed by the sound of screaming. So like, they cast some spell and everyone in the town uh, can't speak. And so the whole f- episode is like pretty much silent. And this is kind of cool bit of experimental TV. But in that episode, it's all about how her and her boyfriend aren't talking. And the last line in the the episode, once they got, you know, their voices back, is like, we need to talk. And it's like that kind of dovetails the themes of the story with the, the conceit yeah, yeah, of the episode. Yeah. Where this felt kind of separate. And also, I would recommend listening to the Still Processing review of it. Where they talked about how it's all about what, <laughs> what, like, white entitlement. And the one of the plot points, isn't the spoilers, like Emily Blunt's pregnant. And it's like, why the fuck are you having a kid 
an apocalypse. It's like that alone is just ridiculous. Yeah. It's one of those movies where you enjoy it. And then like the moment I left the cinema, I was like, wait a second. What's going on there? Like a lot of plot points you can, because it's so stripped down, it kind of needs to be watertight and it isn't. You know what I mean? Fair enough. But uh, very effective. It's a good, you know, fun. Go see it with a big crowd and don't buy popcorn or you'll be glared at by everybody. <laughs> All right. Shall I do a quick, my own quick do review? Do it. Do it. I went to see Love, Simon a little while ago, a romantic comedy uh, drama. When, when we, I remember when we, when we were talking about um, 120 BPM and we were saying how it was interesting because it was like a film about gay characters that's different to a lot of um, uh, movies that deal with those issues because they often feel like uh, kind of quote unquote like straight versions of movies but like done as gay films or something like that. Yeah, you know? like LGBT versions of kind of movies you've You've seen before seen with traditional characters. archetypes, exactly, yeah, and 180 BPM wasn't like that. Well, Love, Simon is exactly like that. <laughs> it's a high school um, romantic drama, about romantic drama. Ro- is it? <laughs> Man, it is romantic. It is romantic uh, and a kind of coming-of-age story about a guy called Simon Speer, uh, who is uh, gay and has not yet come out to his friends or family, and it's kind of about, you know, him doing that. Um, with a relatively unknown cast, um, although his parents are played by Josh Duhamel and Jennifer Garner. (laughs) (laughs) Dame Maggie Smith. (laughs) Jennifer Garner. uh, It's directed by Greg Bellanti, and it's based on a novel called Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Abatali. I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it was really, really excellent. I think it's... It pretty much does what it says on the tin. It's very much what you expect. It was kind of hailed as like a groundbreaking movie because no one has ever made this kind of high school film um, centered around a gay character before. And I think one of the things that makes it so successful is that a lot of such films are about, you know, relatable teenage angst and like not feeling uh, yet comfortable yourself or like you don't really um, know who you are or how to behave and, you know, dealing with young romance and the confusions of that and growing up, the difficulties of puberty and whatnot. Um, and all that is very relatable uh but ultimately in in most such films like it doesn't there's no there are no serious stakes but it's just like oh i remember that that was a difficult time it was kind of embarrassing you know um whereas in this film uh it is it feels a bit more real (laughs) like like the shit he's dealing with is more difficult than if you're just like a straight person who's like i don't know how to ask out a girl you know um and i think they did a really good job of portraying um how hard it is to um, have to tackle with your identity in such a concrete way um, where even though he has very liberal parents and, you know, he knows that no one is like his friends are not going to mind if he's gay. Uh, he very much resents having to make this announcement to people. that There's this presumption that everyone is straight and that you have to define yourself in this like really direct way with people. And he hates having to think that like, even though no one's going to mind, people will see him differently. So they, they, they will think he's a different person yeah. if he tells them about his sexuality. Uh, and all that stuff is is very um, effectively done. It's a very touching movie, um, and I recommend it. I liked it a lot. I laughed and cried, and I had every emotional reaction you can have while watching a film. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> My God, that's a recommendation and a half. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was. Color of the rainbow. It was a very, it was a very sweet and sincere film, and it's very charmingly played by um, the whole cast. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was. They did a really good job. It has that, that thing right. of like, you know, when. Um, characters have they imagine themselves in um, elaborate dance sequences yeah it's got it's got that thing um but the main guy cannot really dance and he doesn't really have much of a sense of rhythm which just almost in a way made it all the more charming and his kind of like fantasy like thing that even he's imagining his dreams he can't dance. even his dreams he can't dance when he's like surrounded by all these sort of like young people um you know jumping about doing incredibly uh cool rhythmic moves and he's just kind of like trying to do it but he can't really do it Mate. it's kind of endearing no no. All right. This has gone far too long. Me and Sam are going to go log off now. We've got another seven hours penciled in to really duke it out over the finer points of Infinity Wars. Really yeah. going to stick you to the wall with my unrefutable points about story. I've got my copy of Robert McKee's story with me. <laughs> I'm going to take you minute by minute through the movie and how fundamentally every single decision the filmmakers have made is a slap in the face to the idea of narrative <laughs> as a concept. <laughs> and you will agree with me. But, Listen, uh, mate, just wait till the sequel. Just wait. Just wait you're going to watch, you're gonna watch Avengers Infinity War like, 2 I'm and, and like, you're going to be like, oh, it's wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> they, they, they actually knew what they were doing all along and it's actually fucking brilliant. And I apologize to you and I apologize to everyone uh, who heard um, my previous review. 
because it was it was a, it was a disgrace and i'm an idiot i'm an idiot i'm a complete fool and i embarrassed <laughs> myself and you're right you're brilliant you're a genius uh yes i will do that Looking but until then uh join us next week we'll be reviewing what? lean on pete's out We're gonna review that saw the lff that's a good movie by andrew Haig, who did 45 years and i really want to see tully the new dablo cody jason reitman charlie's theron movie yeah because i think young adult was brilliant and the same creative team back together i am interested i'm just um gonna scour the cinema listings in an attempt to find a showing of rampage the giant gorilla film starring dwayne the rock johnson i'm gonna try to find that yeah and i'm gonna go see that a few times obviously i'm gonna be seeing avengers infinity war <laughs> a bunch more times maybe maybe we'll do another review of that because i've have i've only seen that once in the cinema and i've got to see that several more just stuff you know yeah. three or four more times yeah to really hash out the fine details of that and then and then produce my 30 minute youtube video just in which i just cr- you know cry and and talk about how much i love it <laughs> <laughs> can't wait can't wait to watch it all right all right see you then guys bye, bye. let's do it <laughs> you expected me to fall That blast wasn't all of the grid. We need to buy Black Widow more time. Then time we shall buy. You might have conquered other planets, Thanos. But when things are at their worst... Turns out, that's when the people of Earth rise to their best. Or did no one tell you what a pain in the butt humans can be? No planet has ever resisted the power of Thanos. And that will not change today! Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.